Welcome to the podcast edition of Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Anne Hill, and every week I explore topics related to dreams, sleep, health, culture, and consciousness. Dream Talk Radio airs every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific Time on KOWS 107.3 FM in Occidental, California. And you can catch the live stream at www.kows.fm. To find out more about Dream Talk Radio, visit my website at anhill.org. That's A-N-N-E-H-I-L-L dot org. Meanwhile, I hope you enjoy this edition of Dream Talk Radio. I am speaking with Edward Filyun, uh, who is the Senior Minister at the Center for Spiritual Living in Santa Rosa. Edward, welcome to Dream Talk Radio. Thank you. So um, I ha- I'm so intrigued by the whole philosophy of the Center for Spiritual Living, partly because at a time when church attendance is generally dropping, you know, your center is just so robust. It's really thriving, and people just seem so happy. There's such a wonderful sense of community. And so uh, I'm just kind of curious about how, how you see the, the yearning for spirituality in, in this I guess let's let's keep it to Santa Rosa area. Well, I I, I see us as refugees, uh, people who come from other faith traditions and are looking for something to add on or to replace their spiritual tradition. And they end up here in our center. And I think they're happy because they have the sense of finally arrived at home in a place where there is enough diversity of thought and enough freedom to explore that they can feel comfortable Uh, with all of the complex questions that spiritual yearning brings. Mm -hmm. So we tend to be an eclectic group. We we do have a teaching that is our foundation, but there is a tremendous openness to other ways of thinking, other Mm -hmm. traditions. We like to draw upon um, ancient thoughts or new trends in spirituality, and it it makes for an inviting and exciting environment. That's it. Well, it is an exciting environment, so um, kudos to that. So I'm interested in uh, your ideas around consciousness and particularly where you see dreams falling into um, into how we as humans can can most, uh, you know, achieve our our true uh, calling in life. We have this idea that there is really only one consciousness and that somehow we're each making individual use of it and really consciousness to us means awareness so we have our personal awareness but at the same time we're tapping into each other through this universal medium so it makes a lot of sense that your dream would be significant to my life and 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 we're so complex that there are all these layers of awareness there's the awareness that I have in my normal awake state And then there's the awareness I have when I'm doing something that I love doing and I forget time and space. And then there's the awareness that I have when I'm just about to go to sleep. And then, and and all of these must be significant. We we don't see any part of our consciousness as throwaway or irrelevant. Um, But in the same way that we don't always know how to analyze and understand our ordinary awake state, we don't always know what the messages of our dream world bring to us. So instead of having a, a, a doctrine for 
analyzing it, we have a curiosity about what it might mean. Mm -hmm. We're certain that there's no one-size-fits-all for people. I, I'm aware sometimes I have strange dreams when I haven't eaten properly, and other times I have dreams that I can see are clearly associated to the dominant um, stressful thought that I went to sleep with that night. And then I can see those dreams, if I pay attention to them, frequently they're talking to me about the problem, the stressful thinking, in a way that my ordinary awake mind didn't have the time or space mm -hmm. to understand. Yes. <laughs> yes to all of those. Well, it's been fascinating to me because I've been interviewing people from various faith traditions. Um, a Sufi friend of mine whose response to dreams is really to meditate and sort of invite the dream into a larger uh, space in her in her waking awareness and others you know psychologically minded who take a look at each uh, not you know whether it's symbols or looking at them as life myths in a kind of a union sense so I'm really interested that you say you you really kind of have a whatever works philosophy which I think is pretty practical well we noticed that when through our education program, when we teach people to slow down their thinking so they can inquire what it's, what's going on, and when they make friends with their inner life by meditating, that they start to have a different relationship with their sleep and their dream world, that they uh, start to notice um, influences, impulses from their inner world in a different way. And so we pay attention to that. and. Um, you know, as you start to slow down anyway, the deep meditative state is very similar to that state of mind in which dreams appear anyway. So we ask people to pay attention in their meditative state, to at least be mindful without trying to coerce or force a message, mm -hmm. to be mindful of what's going on. So why wouldn't we be interested in what comes through us in our sleep state as well? We're very interested. Mm -hmm. So that would be, I, I know that the whole, you, there's five basic practices yes. that you espouse. There's prayer and meditation yes. and service and study, spiritual study, study, and then circulation. And circulation. So this would fall under maybe a meditation. Yes, meditation is, um, well, we see prayer and meditation as bookends. Uh -huh. um, prayer could be thought of as more active, the um, creative part of our spiritual world, whereas meditation is the receptive part, the passive, so to speak. And of course, each category has its own subdivisions. There is um, direct active prayer, but there's also the kind of prayer, the ecstatic personal devotional prayer that is like poetry and often is like a dream revealing itself in the awake state. In meditation, there are all different kinds of categories, guided meditation, uh, meditation in where there is nothing happening at all, mm -hmm. meditation in which you use a device or a method to count. Or, and in each one of them, it, there's, there seems to be a threshold where we get to a place where it's similar to dreaming, in which words are no longer effective, and we enter into a, a place where images, feelings, symbols become very valuable. This is like the dream world. Mm -hmm. So when you, 
when you enter a dream or when you enter a meditative state that is that sort of um, receptive and that kind of the immediacy of information around you, do you take that information to be uh, applicable in a symbolic sense, like my this is reflective of my inner life and my inner direction and it's telling me to go three degrees that way or, or whatever, or is it more, do you take it more as, oh, I really do need to get that degree, or, you know, is it more of an external or an internal guide? I think it can be both. I think sometimes what I dream about is telling me what is active and important or stressful or exciting in my life. So I wake up and I have an inventory of what's alive for me and it's that literal. And so I can just enjoy that or see where I'm, uh, where my attention is. On the other hand, the, the dreams can be, like you say, um, nudges from uh, in a world that is sometimes shut down when I, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't want to do it. And so there's no place in my awake mind for the information to come through. So I go to sleep and then there it comes in a symbol or a feeling. It could even be a frightening dream because there's a voice or an idea in me that is being suppressed and it needs to come out. Mm -hmm. So when you sit with people individually, do you ask them about their dreams? Do you use that as part of your Sort of check in. No, I, I don't. I do not because if it's compelling or interesting to them, it will come out by okay. themselves. Uh -huh. They'll usually tell me. Mm -hmm. So um, we we deal with what is more immediate in their awake world, mm -hmm. their stressful thinking, and then through a conversation, we let that lead us to wherever we need to go. Mm -hmm. um, hidden beliefs they might have about mm -hmm. that. Um, personal projections they might be applying to the world or right. their dream world. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about something you said a little earlier about the idea of, um, and I'm, I'm not going to get this quite right, but the idea that consciousness is all around. Mm -hmm. and, I'm, and I'm thinking of that in terms of, for instance, the, the sort of Jungian idea that there's there's all these layers of you know, the personal, the what do I need to do tomorrow kind of things. And then there's the psychological, how does this uh, ref make me reflect on my childhood upbringing, you know, all that sort of my, my patterns of, my habitual patterns of projecting on the world. And then there's the sort of the, um, the personal uh, unconscious, what these symbols represent, that my grandmother's house has this particular resonance because all my joyous Christmas is what mm -hmm. my grandma, that sort of thing. And then there's the collective unconscious. But in his, in his sort of model, it kind of goes deeper. And so I'm interested in the idea of this sort of circular and encompassing consciousness. Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, it's a very exciting field. Wherever you start exploring, you find somebody's been there before and has a system to try and explain something that is so vast and eternal that it really can't be contained in any one system. I, I mean, it's the, the conversation about consciousness is not new. Mm -hmm. In the Hindu tradition, they went right. to tremendous details to list, enumerate all of the components that make up individual and group consciousness. And I think um, that groundwork has been 
put down for so many others to talk about, as you mentioned. Uh, we ourselves draw from any tradition that will help us understand it, and it, um, we tend to talk about it in a similar way. We say there is personal, individual awareness, that's I, I, and then and all the needs that go with it. And at some point as that develops and expands, we, we start to become aware of the larger awareness of we and, and cooperation and attraction in, gets invoked. And then once that evolves, there's a larger awareness um, of group society maybe and now all sorts of new agreements get involved and it gets bigger that way until we start to uh, it, uh, become aware of things like culture and survival mm -hmm. and in, in the other way as we, we start going deeper into I we start to see that really in the same way as it expanded upward so to speak it expands downward well there's the individual I but who is aware of that I and then then who is the person that's witnessing the eye? And then we, as we look deeper in, there are all of these generations of ancestors that seem to be in us. And at the same level, there are all of these additional voices and personalities. And it's endless, absolutely endless. That's why it makes it so exciting, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes, it's sort of like where anywhere to start is, is the right place to start because you can then progress in all directions. Yes, and any place, any particular place at any given time can be a launching pad or it can become a prison. Yes. And that's so fascinating when you and I start to see our concepts of what my consciousness means, when we see the concept die and freedom is the result because I'm not bound by um, this tight definition of who I am in the world. Mm -hmm. When I start to see there is more, I'm not just a man or a woman or a, a, a Catholic or a Protestant or, or or whatever anything you can come up with mm -hmm. when when we start to see how temporary that is that's a really great beginning point to explore consciousness yes and I think it can be frightening in the in the beginning to realize that everything I've thought about myself is up for debate mm -hmm. oh yes <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Dream Talk Radio. I am uh, speaking with Edward Filion, who is the senior minister at the Center for Spiritual Living in Santa Rosa, which incidentally has a website. Uh, www.centerforspirituallivingsantarosa, that's all one word, dot org. Oh, I think I got through it with little initials. Yes, you can just use the initials also, C-S-L-S-R, which stands for Center for Spiritual Living Santa Rosa. Dot org. Yes. Okay, well, very good. Um, so I, that strikes me as a really not only practical and robust, but also philosophically really fluid and mutable way to look at consciousness. Um, I think some... Uh, well, many religions, sort of the big three, have gotten stuck at a certain point, specifically mostly Christianity and, and Islam, I think, because they, uh, you cannot have an interpretation of a dream that goes against church doctrine. And so this idea that you're able to borrow from, from all different traditions in a way to explain it and, and, and sort of cobble together the things, the things from a lot of different places that actually work 
seems seems really practical and also very freeing. Oh, it's it is freeing. Uh, you know, I particularly like uh, there's a phrase and I from the New Testament, I believe Paul said it. And I don't even know the context. I just like the message so much in which he said all things are possible, but not all things are beneficial. And I, I like that because it gives me the freedom to look everywhere, mm -hmm. but at the same time to to apply some kind of um, good common sense mm -hmm. about what I'm looking at. So I I, I try to uh, notice the world as it appears around me, and if I'm dreaming, to enjoy that and, and to use it and to learn from it if possible. At, at the same time, I, you know, I'm not drawn to alter my consciousness so I can have more dreams mm -hmm. by applying chemicals. I, mm -hmm. That's not appealing to me, but I see it's possible. Mm -hmm. And there's some people who would say, um, who, who actually go back into dreams trying to remember that they're going to change a dream. Do you get into that? Uh, you know, I, I remember reading a, a very interesting book called Lucid Dreaming. Oh, Stephen LaBerge. They, exactly. And I, I, I can't remember all of the instruction. I think it had to do with drinking glasses of water or keeping notepads or something. And I, when I was younger, I did that. I, I was very interested to see if I could wake up or at least become active in my own dream. Mm. And I think it is possible because um, I found that I... I did change my relationship with my dream life and started to participate. I gave it up because I started to um, get tired because I, I was waking up in the middle of the night because it was so exciting <laughs> and <laughs> I wasn't getting adequate sleep. Um, I also noticed that the dream world is, there are no limits and there are no boundaries and so part of the tiredness was from I think having adrenaline pumped into my hmm. body <laughs> when I was sleeping because the adventures that I would go on were were thrilling. Right. So I I didn't stop it out of fear. I just stopped out out of out of a need to be alert at work. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. Well, yeah. That is the you know it's the tyranny of too many possibilities. Yes. Really. <laughs> Let's just narrow them down. <laughs> Let's Let's get awake where I know there's good and bad and right and wrong. <laughs> Have you had any dreams in your life that were uh, powerful in, the, in terms of uh, changing your direction or reaffirming your direction? Yes, I actually have a, a very fond memory of a dream that um, was a, to me like a, a turning point in my life because becoming the minister at the Center for Spiritual Living um, I came from a Catholic tradition and after I left I, I wandered through all sorts of other faith traditions, primarily Christian, and received a lot of warning and caution that this would be a, a terrible choice for me to make, that it was the wrong path. And so it, it worried me somewhat because I had read in, that, you know, there will come many false prophets and I thought perhaps I was being led astray and I worried about my relationship with everything I'd learned about Jesus. And I, I remember very close to my, um, my graduation as a minister having a dream uh, in which I was sleeping and it, apparently my bed was in the clouds. And I opened my eyes and this image of Jesus came down and I'd never had anything like that in my life and I, I must 
apparently thank my Catholic <laughs> background because the image was very beautiful, mm -hmm. open-handed, and he said something to me in the dream, and I, I can't recall what it was, but I knew after that dream that uh, it was a confirmation that my work was mine to do, it mm. was a right choice, and I had a turning point actually with my relationship with Christianity, and I, I realized that I, ha I had been resisting anything remotely Christian because I had felt uh, rejected, and then I realized that uh, Jesus belonged to everybody, mm. and so I was able to uh, reread the New Testament and fall in love again mm -hmm. with uh, what seemed to me uh, to be a beautiful message about love and humanity that I was veering away from and so came back rather um, open-heartedly. How wonderful. Yeah, I call it my Jesus dream. Your Jesus dream. <laughs> That's great. And what a wonderful time to have such yes. an affirmation. Yes. Very deeply affirming dream. Uh, it just reminds me, of, I was uh, working with some folks who were on sabbatical um, at the Jesuit seminary down in Berkeley, and just uh, witnessing the dreams that they would bring at these places where they're kind of searching, okay, what's the next phase? Do I go back into my ministry? Do I want to change? How am I in relation to my uh, superiors in the order and so on? It's just amazing how dreams come with these beautiful affirmations. Jesus. Yeah. Well, you know, before I couldn't say I love Jesus. Mm -hmm. After the dream, I could, mm -hmm. and not feel like I was um, uh, betraying my newfound faith tradition. I feel I felt that finally the what I had been taught that we embrace all faith traditions, it became real. Mm -hmm. So instead of always my life being a, a function of my unhealed past with right. Christianity, it suddenly became integrated into my life and I see the dream as really being the the, the contributing factor mm. how so you so then you went to seminary through uh, science of the mind through yeah there, okay the Center for spiritual living has a, a, a seminary it's actually a degree program mm -hmm. we um, offer a, a master's in consciousness study and it's accredited in the United States mm -hmm. and Upon completion of that, you're um, able to get a license as a minister. Mm -hmm. When I went through the program, it was night school in Los Angeles, and um, and I think it was about four year, a four year, three or four year program at the time, mm -hmm. and um, was able to work at the same time as going through seminary. Mm -hmm. uh, you're listening to Edward Fillion. <laughs> God, I'm just going to mess that name up. I know oh, at you're some doing point. Very well. <laughs> um, from the Center for Spiritual Living in Santa Rosa, and this is Dream Talk Radio. Um, it's so interesting to hear your uh, that that Jesus dream is beautiful, and um, if it were my dream, it would just be such a powerful affirmation of every step that I'd taken up until that point. You know, the, the leaving, the going away, the searching, the experimenting, and the somehow the, the, the paradox that uh, embracing all faith traditions especially means embracing the one we grew up with, yeah. which becomes the most problematic at a certain point. Well, exactly. This is the number one problem we encounter. Well, number one right next to um, reconciling our relationship with our parents. Mm -hmm. That's the other one. 
at reconciling our relationship with our religion of origin. And over here we'll hear that. When I say we're refugees, the majority of people that come here come from either Judaism or Christianity mm -hmm. with a, a smaller um, amount of people from Buddhism and Hinduism. Very rarely do we see somebody from Islam. Mm -hmm. But they come, pagans mm -hmm. and non-believers. But the majority of people are from a Christian background. So the result is there's a still a tremendous amount of unhealed past. So it shows up that I can quote Buddha or mm -hmm. the Tao Te Ching or I can quote anybody on the planet and, and people are open-hearted, but sometimes I see people wince when I talk about Christianity. Mm -hmm. And so we spend time with people finding their way back to their religion mm -hmm. of origin and loving it. And mm -hmm. in, in there have been cases where some people have experienced such a healing that they've gone back mm -hmm. to their faith tradition. And I, th I see that as a success story. Mm -hmm. Right. They were, uh, they, you help, were able to hold the space for them to do their own mm -hmm. searching and assimilating of their experience. Well, my dream has allowed me to talk to Christians. Uh -huh. And right. I have now found that um, there, I have met the most beautiful Christians mm -hmm. that probably I wouldn't have been available to meet because of my closed-heartedness. And who are doing good work in the world that is incredible. Mm -hmm. And I, I appreciate being able to do that now. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, would you say that that is the most pressing spiritual need of the community, is, is reconciling our past, reconciling our relationship to spirit in a broad sense? Where, where would you... Yes, because um, the past is such a powerful draw, mm -hmm. and it has the uh, ability to uh, remove us from the present moment, and that's what, that's where the problem is. And so the past, in terms of incomplete relationships, um, deep hurts, uh, they're like bungee cords that are attached to our belt, and we're trying to walk forward, and there's this <laughs> constant increasing pressure drawing us into the past. So there's a lot of that to look at. Um, our, we have this idea that the only available time is the present moment and yet we spend so much time being drawn back to the past or reaching for the future and so that is a, a powerful pressing mm -hmm. need to teach people how to be here mm -hmm. and enjoy it and to right. be creative in this moment and yes. feel it. That is job security. <laughs> well, well <it's, laughs> there you have it. <laughs> It's true. Yeah. Um, so Ernest Holmes, who was who's written a, a great deal, and he was sort of the, the the I guess what you would describe as central teachings of Center for Spiritual Living, around which a whole um, sort of a garden has grown up of other stuff. Is that would that be a fair? Uh, Ernest Holmes is the the founder, and he uh, he wrote a lot about these ideas he had about mm -hmm. consciousness. And he, he was influenced tremendously by Emerson, mm -hmm. by um, uh, an, an English judge called Thomas Troward, who um, served in Punjab in India, mm -hmm. where he encountered ideas about consciousness mm -hmm. and tried to uh, relate them to his own understanding of, through his Christian upbringing. And these ideas tremendously influenced Ernest Holmes. Mm -hmm. And so he wrote about it and spoke about it. And then a movement just drew itself around him. And the, the teachings are loosely based on what he talked about. 
So over time, they've been developing. He, thank heaven, said, look, you, you know, if you're still teaching the same stuff that I taught you and it's 20 years later, then you've missed the point. Mm -hmm. He said, you've got to keep your feet firmly on the ground, but got to be open at the top. So as a result, the, our teaching has developed over the years as we've progressed in our understanding. For example, we see that where, whereas at one point we had a tremendous emphasis on prayer and fixing the structures of our life, that there wasn't an equal um, emphasis on being receptive and open like mm -hmm. to dream worlds. In fact, we have a, a practice called visioning mm -hmm. in which we sit together and ask what would be the highest, most expansive thought about any particular issue in life. And without stress or coercion or force to try and draw an image out of the universe or our own mm -hmm. consciousness, we just make ourselves available to feeling um, our inner world. Mm -hmm. And that is changing the movement dramatically. It's mm -hmm. deepening us and I think in a way we're becoming more mature as a movement. You know, we're not very, very old, so we're just coming out of our teenage years. No, it's been, but it's been more than the, what, 50s or 40s yes, or 30s? Yes, but in terms of a, a movement's of development, a movement, yes. we're just at that point now where um, the founder is gone and all of the last remaining eyewitnesses are gone. Yes. Just like in Christianity, you know, when Jesus was gone and then the right. eyewitnesses were gone, and at that critical moment when the last one disappears, mm -hmm. then the movement has to stand up and right. there's nobody to verify decisions. And that's where we are. Well, you know, that's that's kind of a nice set of problems, really. Yes. I mean, you could be like the poor Episcopalians who are just being rended apart. I don't know. Oh, goodness. <laughs> what do you think when you see these really, these, these settled traditions and they're just at each other's throats and there's these huge, great divisions? Well, you know, wherever you go, people are the same. You know, so I, I, I look at our very own um, organization and if there's a problem that exists in the world, it exists in us too. And um, so I, I don't worry too much that the big organizations might go through troubles or splits down the middle because we've either done it or we will do it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> So I guess really, no, no matter what the doctrine is, or no matter how well uh, one's founders have set the path, it really is up to the individuals at the at whatever time that is. Yes, the, the nature of our inquiry and interest into the way things are just makes it that we ask questions and that we go through re rebellious phases or that we forget the wisdom of our ancestors and mm -hmm. on and on it goes. So, you know you would have to have a very, very strong organizing power to keep a movement going forever and stay mm -hmm. the same. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work. It's not, it doesn't match our nature. And so I just see the Center for Spiritual Living as a particularly helpful structure for understanding life right now. But mm -hmm. it's a structure, and it will be dismantled and replaced by something else over time. So we don't have this idea that we... Um, you know, this is the only way and it has to be preserved. Mm -hmm. um, nothing in the world is like that. Right. Have you encountered resistance from uh, more mainstream 
uh, religions just because you are so open-handed or open-minded about what is? Um, yes, I think that uh, we, we're considered to be a, a fringe mm-hmm. uh, religion and that there's a certain amount of suspicion about what it is we were up to here in Santa Rosa. Uh, but um, for we, we just keep on showing up at the table. We uh, just recently got into the room with, at the World Parliament, you know, so... Oh. Great. We, we, it's so odd that finally that feels like an endorsement that we exist, but the reality is that we exist because of our diverse nature, our refugee native status. Mm-hmm. Um, there are more people like us, questioning, lost, searching, than I think has ever been counted. I think that's why people arrive and feel teary-eyed and say, I feel like I've come home. They haven't heard one message, they've right. never taken one class, but th- there's something that resonates. And, and I think it's because um, what we say is about, the, about life is so undefended and so natural and so easy mm-hmm. and open for personal application that people feel like this could be their spiritual home. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know if it will be around forever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There'll be something like it, maybe with a different name. Probably, and probably with a with a leadership that completely refutes everything yes. that the Center for Spiritual Living has ever stood for. They'll burn all our books. <laughs> <laughs> and then they'll grow out of their adolescent phase and come around again. Well, it certainly is a, a salve to... Uh, human consciousness and certainly to the culture at this point um, I was just speaking with some good friends of mine this weekend and we got onto the subject of how messages are heard cross-culturally and the difficulty and the you know when even when one is operating with the best of intentions there's always the underlying our perceptions of the other and then when they are in re- receiving mode to that message, you know, it can get completely inverted. And that just seems like such, um, it's just such a hot button right now in the world. Well, you know, us, we Americans, we tend to stay here and read our own news and understand our own culture. And so it does become a surprise when we go and encounter another culture and and realize that they have different values and different ways of understanding the world, different concepts of even meaning. And this is one of the reasons why we take uh, groups of people around the world Mm -hmm. on spiritual journeys so that we can um, broaden our understanding. And we have been to Indonesia to South Africa, to Thailand, to Greece, to Costa Rica, and so on, and Japan. And we find exactly what you're saying. People understand the world in a different way mm-hmm. to us. I remember having a wonderful conversation with um, some people in Bali about um, their caste system. And uh, some of my travelers from the United States were just appalled that there would still be a caste system. And one of the young uh, men said in the group said, do you think you've got something better in the United States? Uh, there was such a, a quietness in the conversation. And he said, ah, because I'm not seeing your culture 
as being any more cohesive or working better. You seem to have discrimination, poverty, and easy Here we have a caste system, but we don't have, and he listed all the things that he, he felt that they didn't have. Of course, they have their own set of problems, but I was just interested in that. I also noticed that simple cultural things can change the whole way a communication takes place. For example, um, coming into a room over here and, and being certain to greet people, especially that people that you respect, whereas in other places in the world, if you come in the room and you respect somebody, you don't say anything. You wait until you've spoken to, and you most certainly do not look them in the eye. And so, you know, we'd have that sort of cultural mm -hmm. clash about they don't respect me when in fact they do, and they're doing their best to show it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> tricky. Yes. Very <laughs> tricky. Uh, you are listening to Dream Talk Radio. I'm Ann Hill, your host on KOWS in Occidental, and I'm talking to Edward Fillion about, uh, actually I kind of Frenchified it that time. It's very pretty. <laughs> about dreams and consciousness. A um, couple more questions for you. In my, um, in my experience, there's always, you know, I'm wandering through different ideas about consciousness and philosophy and musing about my own life. There's always my edge. What is, what is, what is the issue that keeps, I keep coming back to? What's the question I keep sort of chewing on? And I'm curious what that is for you in terms of your ministry or just your personal life. Oh, goodness me. You know, I think that uh, I'm most interested in consciousness, like you. Or to put it, wrap a, a word or sentence around it, like, why are we here would be interesting. Or even more interesting, what am I? Um, and I can see how easy it is and how compelling it is to become diverted and become interested in what do I own? Uh, you know, what relationship am I in? Why things of the world and what episode on the TV have I met? You know, they're so compelling that because it's all around us all the time and we're being advertised at all the time. All the time there are these messages about what life is supposed to be. And, and so I keep on coming back to, but what am I? Who am I? And why am I here? Is there, is there a why? And who's asking this question? And so when I sit with that, sometimes I can just see the value of, I'm going to go and have a sandwich and watch TV, you know. <laughs> Let somebody else think for me. And then that becomes boring and I come back. Now, what, what, who is this? And what's important to me? And, and why do I like, apparently, to follow and enjoy and indulge in stressful thinking mm -hmm. when there is another way. It's very interesting. Why, why attach myself? Why do I want so powerfully? Mm -hmm. Why do I cling? Right. These are fascinating, fascinating. fascinating. And then if I sit with these and, and investigate, why do I cling to this person or to this idea? It's, it's in the sitting and being with it, that freedom comes. Whereas if I go and anesthetize myself with TV and a sandwich, the clinging continues like a, a, a subroutine program running, and it's always there, you know, yes. stealing my aliveness. 
Yes. Well, I think sometimes, you know, we have this idea that um, of, of goodness, this idea of goodness that whether whether we were raised with the idea of original sin or whether we, we weren't, you know, this idea that there is goodness that is striving to come out. And I think sometimes we get stuck on the striving piece so that this idea of, of, of loving stressful thoughts, they're just going right back to where can I see the conflict here? And let's focus on the conflict. You know, I think at some level, because I do this all the time too, I, I'm thinking if I just do this, I'll be good, or I'll make yeah. this good. And But it's really, it's not being present, is it? Mm -hmm. So it's a paradox that in order to sort of unfold a certain goodness or inherent grace in the universe, one has to actually leave conflict alone to a certain degree. Yes. Um and to try and become aware of what we've been taught about conflict mm -hmm. and to investigate if that's true and match it up to what our core belief is, uh, this idea that we're in, we're in a, a holy, sacred universe, but there are all these things that are dangerous. This is a conflicting idea. Or that we are all one. We hear this, you know, this is something that was popularized through the New Age, but it's been around for a long time. We're all one, except, and then there's the long list of people who don't belong to the category of oneness. And to really look at that and how do I what, react, what do I do with my life in the world when I, when I come across these thoughts about mm -hmm. contain, protect, acquire, save, separate. And they they tend to cause us to act and feel in a certain way, and I'm questioning whether that's good for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm experimenting with what if I tried more and more to treat people like they really are part of this mm -hmm. continuum of oneness. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. It is fascinating when it doesn't make you feel like having that sandwich and sitting in front of the well, television. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I I I encounter people all the time that I I want to create a story that they aren't part of the universal right. oneness. It would just be so much easier and I have all the support of the culture and mm -hmm. generations of thinking that there are these people that should be separated out. Right. Well, the whole idea of evil, really. Yes. Where where does evil fit in if, if God is good? Yeah. Do you know? Isn't that a good one? That's a that's at least a semester, if not an entire PhD. And, and you know, people have been at it forever with this question. What does it mean? And I think it's one of those questions where there isn't a neat, tidy answer mm -hmm. to it. It's so big that it it you have to really have a taste for paradox mm -hmm. and metaphor and idiom and mm -hmm. poetry to try and um, understand. Mm -hmm. what it's all about, what right. it means. Right, because... because go ahead. It was, it's pointless to say bad things don't happen. Of course they That's do. Right. We don't deny people's experience of it. It's clear. You just have to walk outside and walk around for a while and mm -hmm. you'll see evidence of it. Um, we're interested in what can we do to stop contributing to that group mind, group idea that perpetuates things that are harmful, actions that are damaging. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. we don't have right. the answer for its existence. Right. So knowing when to act and how becomes critical. 
and taking responsibility for my emotional maturity, my emotional mm -hmm. world, um, paying attention to my reactiveness, yes. learning what things stimulate me into acts of violence mm -hmm. and taking appropriate measures to not indulge mm -hmm. that, getting the sort of support that I need to live a, a wholesome life. I don't know about you, but you know, I, I, have to, I go to a therapist, I have a prayer partner, I have a spiritual counselor, I have a massage therapist, <laughs> and all of these things I see as very important. A dog. I have exactly, <laughs> pets and a hobby. And, and whereas before when I thought I, I can just um, make it through life, it, it was fair. Life without prayer was hazardous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was all bumping into concepts yes. and reactions and struggling it's a huge struggle i think prayer and and to it you know by extension asking for dreams which is something that i do as, as a sort of an active prayer mm -hmm. like what what am i not seeing here what am what what do i need to become aware of and then, you know all, all my dreams will oblige yeah. me but uh it's this whole idea of of goodness and and then what what brings out the violence in us it's you know, I think when we reject the sort of um, the uh, dualistic notion that there's good and evil, and you're either one or the other, and there's no, there's really very, you know, it, it's a it's a straight line, and there's no gray areas in there. If you reject that kind of analysis, and you go into the, well, there's good people, but the, sometimes they do bad things, or sometimes they think they're doing good things, but bad results, and so, mm -hmm. I, you know, that's that's just. Um, well, it's really rich territory, and I, I see it, I, I guess for me, I'm, I'm looking at it in terms of dreams, the whole idea of good and evil, because, you know, um, dreams do help us see, you know, see our life from a, a larger perspective, and they give us those moments of grace. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you know, Hitler was guided by his dreams several times, saved his life in the foxholes mm -hmm. in World War I, and so on and so forth. So I'm thinking, well... You know, does everybody get that? Even the people who do just monstrously, monstrously bad things? Yeah, apparently. Apparently yeah. so. And what I like about the dream world is, is in that state, it blurs the lines between what is and what isn't, mm -hmm. what's good and what's not good. And I think that's helpful to bring that back into a wake state. Um, because I can see the draw to have things categorized into this is good and this is bad, but it's not realistic, mm -hmm. which is why in a dream, you know, you can have a friendly face doing something that frightens you. Yes. And so the lines are blurred then. I think it's more realistic. It's more like mm -hmm. the world is. And then you can bring it into your awake state and see, well, you know, fire is good when it's warming your food, but it's bad when it's right. burning your house down. And at what point does it make the transition? from one quality to the other and I think there's no way to find that point and um, being more fluid with my interpretations of the world I think that's where freedom is mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I think there's safety in categorizing people places and events but it's a, it's a temporary safety yeah. nothing behaves itself in the world it's good today it's bad tomorrow right. Thank heavens for Shakespeare, you know, <laughs> except thinking made it so. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, and that, I, I mean, I think that's the thinking person's response. And, you know, knowing that there's people who don't, who don't care for that sort of reflective quality. Yeah. It just seems like it puts the onus more on 
people who do reflect and, and look at, at the qualities and where, where a, a force turns from good to uh, detrimental, uh, it puts the onus on us to find a way to act with clarity uh, while still understanding that maybe our actions will be misinterpreted. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, it's a fascinating thing, like the denseness of consciousness um, in our society. And I, I've got to say, I, I believe that this inquiry and this ability to look in, it comes with education. Mm -hmm. I think that when we stop teaching our children to appreciate music and we stop insisting that they go to school and we let our school um, system become so under-sourced that we can see the the accompanying denseness of consciousness because I, I think that if left <laughs> to our own devices we will have the sandwich and watch the TV yeah. <laughs> and I think that for me I'm very lucky I was taught to appreciate um, art and I can see how that is a window into the, the world of mm -hmm. images and, and meaning without which I don't know how we will do it. Yes, so true. Education. Edward Fillion, thank you so much for talking to me today. Um, any parting thoughts to our listeners? Oh, it's just been a pleasure talking to you, and I love Occidental. Oh, <laughs> And I uh, hope you'll come and visit us sometime All at right. the center. Very good. So uh, we've been talking to Edward Fillion from the uh, Center for Spiritual Living in Santa Rosa. You can find out more about all of the classes and the schedules and a ton of things. This is a very active community here. Yes. Uh, here in Sonoma County, gang, uh, really interesting, wonderful group of people, cslsr.org, Center Very for good. Spiritual Living Santa Rosa.org. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. That ends this week's Dream Talk radio show podcast. Thanks for listening. And remember to tune in every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. at www.kows.fm. This is Ann Hill, and I'll see you again next week.